You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. This is a special micro-episode, Chatting with Mark, where I catch up with a previous guest about a topic that's captured their attention. This episode was recorded in December 2022 when I chatted with Leon Furs about artificial intelligence in teaching and learning. We explored some of the potential advantages and opportunities, as well as some of the complexities around assessments and the ethics of use. Hello again, Leon. Good to be speaking with you again. Yeah, good to see you again, Mark. So I understand from your various posts, etc., that you are getting deeper and deeper, more and more interested in artificial intelligence. I, I am. So uh, I've actually just started my PhD and um, broadly speaking, it was digital texts and English. So uh, bringing in my English teaching method, but we've uh, we've already started to narrow that down towards artificial intelligence and writing. Um, so yes, I am uh, neck deep in the research around AI at the moment. Okay, now that's a phrase people kind of bandy around that people who are familiar. It's a it's a nice abbreviation, AI. What is what are we talking about here? Artificial intelligence. It's been around since the eighties. I was speaking to someone, or even before <laughs> yesterday, nineteen sixties, I believe. A, uni- a university-related um, person, and um, but I guess it's become more and more frequent the kind of posts and, and discussion. But what, so, what are we talking about? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, so that term, artificial intelligence, it's it's come and gone in and out of favour with uh, with governments and with industry. Um, so you know, we're talking about artificial intelligence, but for me, really, um, I'm talking about uh, uh, large language models, which um, which are these these big uh, machine learning uh, algorithms that are trained on incredibly large data sets of language. So chat GPT is the one that's hit the media most recently. Um, there's a question mark over whether it's uh, whether it's intelligent. <laughs> um, most people would, would probably say uh, confidently that it, it isn't intelligent, but um, AI is the term that we're kind of bending around. So that's I'm I'm following along what, with what you're um, outlining, but what does it look like on a practical level? What does it allow us or one to do? Mm. Um, I think the, the the big sort of game changer recently with the um, the large language models like ChatGPT is uh, a, a few little tweaks and upgrades to the to the GPT. Um, language models that have already been going around for the last few months. So the most recent upgrade uh, gives it a little bit of memory, which allows it to kind of uh, do that, you know, chat function backwards and forwards and uh, allows it to actually uh, build a little bit of, I don't want to say a relationship because that's kind of humanizing the technology a bit more, um, but it allows the user to, uh, to build on the prompts as they're going along and to kind of get a little bit deeper. So prior to that, we had a model GPT-3 from OpenAI, the same company. And, uh, you know, it could certainly respond to a prompt and it could generate writing, but you couldn't really uh, easily tweak it or um, or feed it new information or sort of send it down off on a different direction. So it was quite a, uh, quite a limited transactional kind of relationship. What we've seen in the last couple of weeks with ChatGPT is definitely a level up from that. 
So just to, again, just to kind of simplify it for those people yeah. that are, don't understand really even what you're talking about, even even now, you, you, the user, like the person, can type in a sentence or a question mm-hmm. or a something, and then the computer gets generates a, a, a kind of response. But what what's the yeah. form of that response? Okay, um, well let's let's just uh, talk about what's going on under the hood a bit first. So um, when you type a prompt into these systems, what it's doing is uh, it's generating a language response, so a written response, based on this enormous data set of language that it has. So it's trained on this uh, you know, big chunk of the internet. And um, really, it's, it's predicting the most likely next word. So it's, it's called a probabilistic um, outcome. So it's taking the, probable of the, the probability of the next word. And um, it uses that to construct sentences on the fly, really. So if you prompt it with something like, you know, write an essay about Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, it's going to go trawling. Just off the top of your head, yeah. Yeah, it's going to go trawling through its uh, its vast amounts of data. It's going to look for keywords like what's an essay. It's going to work out who Jane Austen is. It's going to um, try to predict the kind of themes and uh, ideas you want it to talk about. And then it's going to generate something which uh, very much at the moment looks like an essay that's been um, uh, written by, uh, look, on that initial pass, maybe a middle school student. But now with ChatGPT, we can actually prompt further and further and we can get more and more sophisticated responses out of it. So I've been playing around with that a lot, obviously. And, um, you know, I've, I've comfortably got it to the stage now where it can produce, a, let's say, a VCE level essay. And uh, with a little bit more prompting and a, a bit of effort, you can get it even beyond that. Yeah, and significantly, it's not plagiarism per se, because it's not like a copy of. It's the computer's not going out and finding pre-existing text. It's as you say, it's creating it. Or mm. is that the is that the kind of the word how you describe it? Creating or, or generating? Generating. Um, you know, and and it's this is one of the big sticking points with these AI technologies now. So um, you know, on the flip side of the the uh, the language models, we have the image generation AI as well. They're trained on these data sets of images by existing artists. And what they create, um, if you want to use the creator, what they generate is original. But it is drawing on works that have come from that uh, that enormous data set, uh, my, all of which were, um, were put into the data set without the consent of the original creators. So although it's not plagiarism, there is still potentially this ethical question over uh, over how it's using or reusing or reinterpreting the uh, the information from its data set. So uh, we probably don't have time to go down that ethical rabbit hole, but um, whilst it's not plagiarism, I'd probably put a bit of a caveat over whether it uh, constitutes some form of, uh, of um, plagiarism-like <laughs> uh, well, tendencies. Yeah. yeah, it's new territory uh, from what I observe. Um, mm. I had a little tinker myself. I created, I thought, what's something that no one would have ever really thought to write before? And I thought, I'm going to ask the um, the the kind of system, the platform to write me a poem about chromatography, which is a <laughs> chemical, um, chemical kind of uh, process where the mm-hmm. chemicals are separated out. And within a few seconds, it came up with, it used really specific key terms that mm-hmm. are used in industry. And the the kind of, it complied with the format. 
Um, but I mean, that's just one example. I've seen other examples of lesson plans, even mm-hmm. um, other other. Someone was saying they used it to create a business document, and mm-hmm. I thought, oh, okay, that's even more interesting. So, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe just outline what what do you what do you think, or what are your thoughts on the all the advantages across you know education in this in this area. Mm. I think um, one thing that's happened recently is that it's it's forced a lot of us to uh, to ask some serious questions about the, the purpose of much of what we do in education. So, um, and I'll talk particularly around terms of uh, assessment and writing because that's obviously where I live. Um, the the assessment outcomes in secondary and tertiary often based around written outcomes like essay writing and um, responding to essays. It, it can do a lot of this kind of writing, this kind of very, um, I guess, functional writing or formulaic writing. You mentioned things like business models, forms, paperwork, uh, all of this administrative kind of work. It can do all of that. So we've got to start asking questions about um, why and how we teach some of those things. So I think uh, for me at the moment, the biggest use case, I guess, in education is uh, it being used as something which is going to provoke a bit of conversation and discussion. I don't think it's at the stage yet where we should be encouraging mass adoption or where we should be uh, getting, uh, let's say, edtech providers using these technologies into schools. Because I do think there are some um, some very valid and uh, serious ethical considerations around that, um, some of which are to do with the biases in the data sets, which has been a lot in the news, um, but also in terms of how these technologies might you know, exacerbate disadvantages or gaps or divides that are already there in education. So, you know, I don't think we can go, okay, well, look, we're just going to start using these things. We're going to adopt them. It's great. Um, I do think there are some really legitimate use cases potentially down the track, but I think um, part of the role of uh, of people like myself and others uh, in terms of research is going to be around that ethical question of diversity of, uh, of those biases and so on. Yeah, I guess it's kind of on a on an immediate level. I could see already students may think, "Oh, mm. right, it means I can just it can do my homework. Computer can do my mm-hmm. homework for me." So, have you sort of heard of that already happening, or you know? Uh, yes, yeah, so I had a student. Um, I had a student already this year, so pre Chat GPT, um, who tried to submit a, a Pride and Prejudice essay using um, <laughs> using an AI written. Uh, app and uh, you know it was obvious that at that point it was obviously not that student's work um, but also just the response itself was quite wooden as these get more and more sophisticated then students will use them to cheat that that kind of comes back nicely to my earlier point about rethinking our assessments and things like that if students are going to use them to cheat and they will that suggests to me that there's a break in the system that we need to address Um, you know students will just do what students do students have been cheating on exams and essays for, for centuries this is just a new tool for them to do that. So, um, look, in a, in a blog post I put out recently, I called uh, GPT a, a cheating machine, which is one of the big worries. I do think, though, that um, you know, once we get our heads around some of these ethical quandaries, they can be used for really valid, genuine things. You know, you you mentioned support with lesson planning. Uh, I've seen organisations using them to generate lesson content. Uh, they take some of the the work out of doing things like. Uh, you know, even if you're having a very human-to-human lesson like a Socratic seminar or a Socratic discussion, you might use uh, something like ChatGPT to help generate some of the prompts or discussion questions. 
Students might use it for research in the same way they currently use Google. So there are lots of valid use cases sort of down the road a little bit. Um, I just don't think we can go uh, we can go diving straight in just yet. Yeah, I like the idea of having um, that kind of a human critique, if that's the word, of something mm-hmm. like you must. I'm assuming that with the student submission, it was your own human eyes that were reading through mm. their sentences and thinking, oh, okay, this this doesn't seem like it sits well or, you know, I guess mm. it's kind of on a simple level, but then on a kind of more sy- systematic level, you could incorporate more of that um, critiquing. Now that now mm-hmm. that this is a known thing, teachers, yeah. maybe, maybe the teachers need to be more vigilant and on the alert. Maybe they don't realise well, I, I think if we if we persist down this line that's already started of, of just policing the technology, we're going to massively increase teacher workload because it will ultimately end up in students having to do, you know, timed uh, re- writing by hand um, in-class assessments, which are then going to need to be really strictly moderated and invigilated by teachers. This is just going to teach, increase teacher workload, which is totally the opposite of what these technologies should do. So I think we're going to have to move more towards discourse and discussion uh, and those kinds of methods of checking student knowledge, things that you can do, you know, person to person. And even if a student has used an AI to learn some of the content, to be able to talk about it and discuss it, they really need to know what they're talking about. And AI can't do that for them. So, you know, I think it's going to, uh, you know, optimistically, I think this technology will lead us down the road of a more, maybe a more humane approach to education. And we'll step away from those kind of dehumanized essays. Yeah, yeah. And um, what I've already um, chatted to a, f- a number of people. They're quite um, they they're very much in the camp of this is not a good thing at all, and it needs to be <laughs> kind of um, restrained, maybe, or you know, policed, or the rest yeah. of it. And I guess yeah, I, you're kind of already saying that some of those concerns are, are valid, but I mean, generally. I get the impression that your your kind of perspective is that there's lots of lots of advantage, but it just needs to be maybe considered or planned for. Or I mean, mm. I guess what is your what is your perspective on on this? And I guess what maybe this is exactly what your PhD will be about. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I'm I'm no um, technological determinist. Um, I, don't, I don't think that these are you know the the inevitable future and that these are going to replace teachers at all. I think that they they force us to ask some valid questions about the current education system. And um, I think that, uh, you know, ultimately, we're not going to be able to police these technologies. You know, if we look at the trajectory of something like um, stable diffusion, the image generator from Stability AI, that's open source. It's out there in the wild. There's no controlling that. And a lot of the proponents of these technologies think they should be open source. Um, So... You know, that being the case, they're not going anywhere. Um, we certainly can't just ban or block them from a, from a system point of view. It didn't work with phones. It didn't work with YouTube. And it won't work with this technology. So I think that um, really it's, it's on us as educators to get our heads around this, to think of the valid use cases, but also to have a critical eye and um, to, to raise some of those really important ethical questions. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'll be just with the imaging um, examples, there, there's just this whole other... Um, facet that is just really quite impressive really mm-hmm. when you look at some of the some of the examples are a little bit clunky and quite mm-hmm. lame but then when you see a good one it's really quite impressive mm-hmm. however i was chatting to my neighbor last week and um he was saying oh 
the 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 AI it was able to generate an historically accurate image of an historic incident, and I thought, oh, how interesting! That it reminded me of when you see these oil paintings that have been commissioned, and it's like <laughs> people then view them as a snapshot of reality of whose this- history. What was that? Sorry. Whose history? Whose history are we uh, are we recording? Well, yeah. Can you tell us a bit more of that? It's more just for those non-teachers out there. You know, what's this mean? Whose history? Oh, look. I, I just mean uh, if if the AI is is building a composite image, it's still basing that on image on you know words and text and images that have been provided to it. So through a critical lens, you know, who's providing those images and is it white men? <laughs> So, uh, you know, there is this huge inherent bias in the data set, which means that much of what these things are trained on in terms of both images and text um, comes from this very white male Eurocentric perspective. So even if they're generating new or unique images, there's uh, there's still that kind of, um, we'll call it an algorithmic bias that's kind of baked into these systems that we need to be really, really conscious of. because these things, they do turn out things which look very, very uh, plausible, very realistic, very believable. Um, but like anything, we should uh, look at it through a critical lens, I think. Yeah, okay. And in, in the in our final few minutes, maybe in the spirit of a critical lens, what sort of homework can you set for anyone listening to this, whether they're a teacher or maybe a parent or maybe just a yeah. citizen? What's something that they could do to maybe find out more or, you know, become enlightened with this sort of territory? Um, so at the moment, ChatGPT from OpenAI is um, is kind of leading the, the way here with these language generators. And it is currently open access. They're, they're in a public beta test, which means they're opening it up for research. Great for them because millions of people are going on and testing their systems for them um, for free. Uh, so a good way, a good way for them. Um, it will eventually be paywalled or there'll be some kind of subscription fee or, or something. So my advice really would be get in now, have a play around, see what it's capable of, um, you know, and do your do your own research, but do a little bit of due diligence about some of the ethical concerns. There's, there's some great people sort of already operating now in this in this kind of area. You know, I spoke to Juliana Pelocci, who um, has just finished her PhD. Um, uh, Tom Barrett is all over this. Steve Brophy is right across all of this AI. And um, just having these conversations with these people, such a diverse range of perspectives, um, you know, ranging from the God, lock it down, block it. We're not ready for this kind of approach more, more towards my end of things of uh, the technology's there. It's not going anywhere. We need to learn how to use it. Even if we have the ethical problems, um, you know, even if we have those ethical concerns, I think that, ultimately one of the things that I think is that, you know, if we don't get across it, it's going to broaden that digital divide, you know, because there will be a a big group of students and they will be wealthy probably and white probably uh, who are using these technologies to get a leg up in the education system um, because they know how to game the system. You know, they have access to the technology. They're more highly literate. um, They they do have more access to these kinds of systems and networks and, uh, and all of that knowledge. And it will just widen that gap. So I think really teachers need to be the ones who are bringing this to the students. The students can't just be uh, out there in the wild. 